So we're excited. We had six baptisms in the early service. The early service was actually packed as well. And uh, we're going to have five people uh, get baptized here, here in a moment. As long as they don't escape. We've had people escape before. But we definitely go out and try to find them again. <laughs> if you're visiting today, and we've been having a lot of visitors, uh, we go verse by verse through the scriptures here on Sunday. We pick out a book of the Bible, and we just go verse by verse, let God choose the topic. And we are now in Romans chapter 14 today. We've been going back and forth from Romans and John, and we've come to a little bit of a different tune in our study, and uh, it's, it's kind of fascinating, very interesting to me, and I've titled it, Should We or Shouldn't We? Uh, dealing with the gray areas, some Christians say we should, shouldn't do this, other Christians say, no, we, we should do this. We have the freedom to do this. And so this is a very important subject. I mean, Paul takes the entire chapter 14 and then the first seven verses of 15 to deal with this. So we're going to deal with it all. I'm just going to introduce it today because we have baptisms. And I want this message to have a baptism flavor for those being baptized today. Many of them young in their, their faith. Some might be visiting, and so I want to teach you, I want you to understand what it means. What does it mean to be a Christian? How does it work? And in our study of Romans, we have seen, we opened up, Paul said, I want to bring the good news of God to the Romans, and the city of Rome, it was a very powerful place, but a lot of sin was going on, but Paul said, I'm bringing the good news of God, that God wants to save people, but we learn in the early chapters that no one can be saved on their own, that everybody's a sinner. Paul made it clear, the religious people are sinners, and the Gentile, pagan, unbelievers, they are just as sinful. Everybody's in the same sinful boat. Your religion can't save you. And the pagan gods couldn't save anybody. And even trying to be a good unbeliever can't save you. You need a Savior. And we saw that that Savior, and there's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. So we're seeing the big three parts of your Christian life. We've been talking about salvation at first, then we talked about sanctification, and we're still there today, and then there's the next part, the final part of your Christian life is glorification. Salvation is the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you, that is a done deal. Your sins are forgiven past present, and future. You will not be judged. We saw in Romans, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Um, it's kind of like the law of double je jeopardy under the Fifth Amendment. A man cannot be convicted 
for the same crime twice. Can't happen. And God convicted Jesus and executed him on our behalf. And because Jesus was convicted in our place, we will go free. We will get God's grace if we come to him and receive God's gift of mercy on that. So salvation comes first. It's a done deal. But then the next process is sanctification. I know it's a big word, but it's simply now that you're a Christian, even though you've been forgiven of your sins, which is so great. I mean, I walk around as a sinful man in a sinful world, but God sees me as a son because of Jesus. But in the sanctification process, I need to learn to turn from sin. Uh, The scripture says, don't walk in darkness anymore. Walk in the light. And so we come to church, and most of the time we are dealing with sanctification, teaching you the word of God, how Christians should live, how they should act, how they should talk. So we always talk about salvation, but then we talk about sanctification. Let me give you a sanctification verse. This is called the Great Commission. This is a good, these are good verses for people being baptized. Matthew 28. This is after Jesus rose from the grave. He's already died for our sins. He rose from the grave. Now he gives a mandate to the apostles, which is going to be, they're starting the church. So this mandate is to us as well. This is our great commission as a church. Those of you getting baptized, you are now a part of this. So he says, go, ther- go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciplined follower of Jesus. And Jesus commands us, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But guys, being baptized, it doesn't stop there. Watch. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See that? You don't just get people saved and baptized. You continue to disciple them. You continue to teach them everything in the Word of God so we can know as Christians what God's will is for our life so He can use us to be witnesses to others and serve Him in the church. And I love the part it says, I will be with you always to the end of the age, meaning I'm going to be with every church, I'm going to be with every Christian to the end of the church age. And you're going to You're going to make disciples for me, baptizing them in my name. So that's sanctification. We're in that process now. What Paul talks about today, how we solve these gray area conflicts in the church. That's what he wants for Christians being sanctified. The final process is glorification. That's when you die and go to heaven and you're in the presence of God. Steve Hall, I ask you to pray for him, uh, his, him and his family, as he, as he was dying this week. He passed away. Steve Hall, 
experienced all three. He experienced salvation. He gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He experienced sanctification as his wife and family came to church and served God and grown. And now that he's died, he is experiencing glorification. One day he'll have a new glorified body. This is good news. This is the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So today, should we or shouldn't we, we've been talking about what God, how Christians should look and act in the church. Christians should be submissive, submissive to each other, submissive to the government. Christians should be forgiving people. Uh, Christians should not be getting caught up in the sinful passions of the world. We come out of that to serve God, to keep our lives clean and our testimony pure. And he talks about how he wants love to be genuine inside the church. He wants there to be a real love between all of us in here. And he wants that love to be so real that it's attractive to others. And so in the context of Christian love, Paul tells us now how to deal with gray areas. What do you mean gray areas? Well, there are things in the Bible that are black and white. There are certain sins we don't have to debate about. God has clearly said, this is sin. Do not do this. And these are things you clearly should do as Christians. When it's black and white, we don't debate on it. We do it. If someone doesn't do that, we confront that and try to help them to do that. So this isn't about that. This isn't about confronting sin. This isn't about um, doctrine. This isn't about that we, we, not, we need to take doctrine serious. And if someone's teaching false doctrine, we need to confront them. Okay, That's not what this is dealing with. Right? You, people say, well, yeah, but, but doctrine, we need to love. Doctrine's not important. You can't really love without doctrine. You've got to have sound doctrine. So we always fight for, for what God says is sin, and we always, we always we fight against it, and we always fight for God's truth and his doctrine. This is dealing with the gray areas, certain areas we're not really sure about. So in the early church, Paul's going to deal with three main things. He's going to deal with food today because there was arguments over food. Some Christians were saying you can eat the meat. Other Christians were saying you can't eat that meat because it might be sacrificed to idols or if it's pork, that's not under the dietary law. So we're only going to eat vegetables. But then other Christians were saying, um, no, you can, you're free now in Christ. You can, you can eat and enjoy it and thank God. So there was division, and both sides had a point at times. In all these gray areas, a lot of times, both sides has a point. Then he's going to deal with certain days. Certain Christians were saying you should worship on certain days, or there's certain things you can only do on certain days. That debate still goes on in our world today. And then he's going to deal with the issue of wine, because some Christians were saying you should abstain from wine. Some Christians were saying it's okay to enjoy wine. So he's going to deal with these issues. 
We'll go through this, and I'll explain to you what was going on in that culture and why Paul had to address it. But it applies to us today. Because in the church today, people are arguing about all kinds of things. And everybody has an opinion on what is right or wrong. We call ourselves a non-denominational church. Meaning we're not affiliated with any denomination. We want to we want to follow Jesus and teach the Bible. We welcome anybody from any other denomination. Many of you like it, but many of you have come from different denominations. And your denomination that you grew up in or that you've learned all your life were strict about certain things. Some of you went to a church that wasn't so strict about other things. And so we have differences on these things. But we need to come together in Christian unity. So many, I mean, should Christians, what Christians are movies allowed to watch? What Christians, what movies shouldn't they watch? There are, there are argues in the world, what hairdo you're supposed to have as a Christian? Should you celebrate Halloween? Should you not celebrate Halloween? People have strong opinions on that. There are arguments over Christmas trees. We're having a Super Bowl party today at the church, oh my. <laughs> um, listen, listen, I promise you, there will be Christians upset that we're having a Super Bowl party at the church. And you say, well, what's the, well, and, and listen, now they got a point. They're going to say, a lot of these people worship, this is a place to worship. A lot of these people worship football. They worship the Super Bowl. They're going to they're gonna be getting more excited about the Super Bowl than they ever do about God in church. And they're going to say that, and they got a point. I got, someone sent me a text with a meme that said, people in church should, just, should be just as excited about church as they are the Super Bowl. Therefore, this Sunday, dump Gatorade on your pastor's <laughs> head. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but they do that at a point, and they might say, well, you know, the halftime show, that's just nothing but worldliness. And they got a point. But I think other stronger brothers that just say, hey, I just want to watch football. I'm not going to participate in the sinful part. I don't worship it. It's just a game to me. I'm going to just come with friends and enjoy the game. So that's kind of the stronger brother would be in on that. And so what, what Paul's going to tell us is, those who think we shouldn't watch the Super Bowl, we, we shouldn't make fun of them. We should respect them, that their conscience tells them they should not come to that. And they, but they also should not judge us, who feel like we're free to watch a game. You see the point? And I mean, this debate goes on and on and on. There are Christians who debate what clothes we should wear to church. It's a big issue. I had, I, I heard a Christian guy on a Christian talk show. He was talking about basically how pastors are not good pastors and they're not good Christians if they preach in sneakers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, I thought about that. You know, I got some dress shoes at home. I got these dress shoes I wear to funerals, weddings at times. 
uh, my dress shoes. They have a, my dog took a bite out of the back of one. The, the, the dress pants cover, them up, cover it up. <laughs> Is my sermon going to be better? I mean, I think these shoes actually look better than my dress shoes. I mean, is my sermon going to be better? Am I going to love God anymore? Because, but yet again, yet again, I have to respect that brother's opinion. If he feels that he should wear his dress shoes, wear them. I'm not going to judge you. But don't judge me neither. That we got to get along on it. we got to stop all this judging. I know there are people who believe you should wear suit and ties to church. Most of the men that I study during the week to help me prepare a sermon, they are all suit and tie guys. And I respect, I have the utmost respect for them. So I respect them. And I heard one of the men that, that I look up to, he said, he said man, I, I go to worship the king on Sunday. So I, I, wear, I, wear my, I wear my suit and tie. And I was thinking, Shouldn't you rent a tuxedo? <laughs> I mean, don't we, do, don't we rent tuxedos for the best? And would that be wise to rent a tuxedo every Sunday, all of us? It would take a lot of money. Um, but I see the point. I see the point. And however they feel, they should. Pastor Adam Radcliffe and I, when we started church, we had suit and ties in July. And one day I said to him, I said, you, do you realize, Adam, we're the only people in Florida in July wearing a suit and tie because we think we're supposed to? Our congregation is dressed in casual. Why don't we be like the congregation, tone it down a little bit? And so we did that. But it's really about what's in your heart. So now listen, but you can go too far, right? Because we say, hey, God doesn't care about what you wear, so, so just... It's all about your heart. So next week, all the ladies, you come in a bikini. And, 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 and all the men, you come wearing one of those goofy Speedo bathing suits. And we'll enjoy the weather of Florida together. Visitors might not ever come back. So listen, listen, you can take it too far. The way you dress, the way you dress can be a, a bad testimony. It can be a reflection of your heart. So we got to be careful not to go one way or the other. So I'll tell you, there are two, when you deal with these gray areas, there are two extremes. You got what is called legalism, and you got what is called license. Legalism is man made rules that aren't in the Bible that protect you from breaking the actual rules. A license is you're free in Christ. You can watch whatever you want, drink whatever you want, do whatever you want, and you're forgiven. Both of those extremes are bad. And the devil will take you down whatever road you want to go. So legalism is everything's thou shalt not. Okay? So, so legalism really draws a fence around God's command. So God clearly says, you shall not commit adultery. So legalism comes in there and says, therefore a Christian can't dance. Nothing in the Bible you can't dance. Why can't you dance? Because you might commit adultery. See? 
So legalism is adding man-made rules, and people get legalistic. The worst part of legalism, here's the worst part of legalism. It, it, it looks like a works gospel. Legalistic Christians, legalistic churches, unbelievers look at that and think, I can't be a Christian unless I follow all of these rules. And that's sad. That hurts the gospel. Because the gospel has nothing to do with following man-made rules. It's grace through Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ will clean up your life according to the scriptures. Right? One pastor learned the hard way. He was very legalistic about everything. And he, he decided to teach his congregation, you know, about why he believes so strongly about certain things, like why Christians sh shouldn't drink, why they shouldn't smoke. Why, and he was even convicted that you, Christians shouldn't eat chocolate. Why? Why? Again, legalism. Because you might get addicted to chocolate, and you might become a glutton to chocolate, which happens in people's lives, so he's got a point. But he's adding legalism. So, so what he did was... He brought jars with worms in it. And before he preached the sermon, he took the jars and he put a worm in, in he, and then he poured a glass of al or drinking alcohol into, there, into where the worm was. He got, he got some smoke, and I don't know how he did it because you're not allowed to smoke, but he must have like lit a cigarette, put a cigarette in the jar, threw the worm in the jar with, that had smoke in it, closed the lid. Then he... Put the worm in chocolate and close the lid. Then he put the worm in good soil. At the end of his sermon, after his sermon was over, he brought the jars out and he said, I want to show you, congregation, look at this. He showed them the, jar, the worm in the jar with alcohol was dead. The worm in the jar of smoke was dead. The worm in the jar of the chocolate was dead. And the worm in the good soil was living. And so he's like, I got a point now, don't I? What have you learned today, congregation? And an older lady in the back stood up and said, I learned, pastor, that if you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you'll never get worms. <laughs> That illustration backfired. <laughs> but again, but again, hear me. Don't be somebody that has a license. I'm free in Christ. You see, people say, I'm free in Christ. I can drink. And really you are. But then what happens is alcohol controls you. You don't just have a drink. You get drunk. Then you cause other Christians to hang out with you in the church to get drunk, and now you are really getting off track, and you are hurting the body of Christ. And I can give many illustrations where people who, who say, I can do this and I can do that, and they go way too far. Paul said, just because you are free, you don't indulge in the sinful nature. Paul also said, don't be mastered by anything. 
Don't let these things of the world control you. You are free, yes. But God wants you to be controlled by his spirit. And we'll talk about that more as we go. So, how do we deal with all this? How do we deal with all this? I mean, we could debate all these subjects. What's wrong? What's right? One, a Christian can get up here and give their side and give a great argument. Another Christian can get up here and give their argument. So what do we do when the debate never ends? Number one, Paul says, you start accepting. You start accepting. First part of uh, verse one, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Accept him. Love him. He's your brother. She's your sister. And if their faith is weak, and if they think they're going to get in trouble if they come to the Super Bowl party, then you respect how they feel. You don't force them to come. They need to go by their conscience. God will be pleased with them if they go by their conscience. So what your conscience tells you in these gray areas, you, you need to go by that, okay? Now, maybe as you grow as a Christian, I, man, my, I had no conscience when I became a Christian because I seared it as a young man. When I got saved by the Holy Spirit, my conscience exploded, and I was guilty about everything. So I wasn't going to do nothing. I was scared of everything. Going to get in trouble, you know. But as you grow as a Christian, you get stronger and you're not so uptight. You're not so afraid of all this stuff. But Paul says, and he's going to say both sides. The weaker brother needs to accept the stronger brother. And the stronger brother, how they feel they need to accept the weak. You welcome them. You welcome them. So that's what you do. Welcome the person that is, has a different opinion about you on one of these Christian gray areas. Number two, stop arguing. How do we deal with this? We stop arguing about it. Romans 14, the last part of verse 1 through 3 says, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. They're children of God. They're believers. God has welcomed them into their family. They, have, they both have different opinions. Since God welcomes them, you should welcome them. And we should welcome each other. We accept one another. Now, this issue of food and what is going on here in the Roman church, you have very strict religious Jews who came to Christ. They are used to following the the Old Testament laws all of their life. They had dietary laws. But then you had these Gentiles. They never even read Leviticus chapter 11 about the dietary laws. They don't even know what they are. They just 
ate whatever they could find to eat to survive. And now they're in church together. And God says he wants them to welcome each other. And the weaker brother in this area was the religious Jewish people who couldn't get over that they were free in Christ now and they were not under the dietary law. So what happened was why they, they were allowed to eat meat, but they thought the meat in the Roman Empire could be sacrificed to an idol. So Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 8. There were Christians buying meat at the marketplace. Some Christians were saying, uh, you can't eat that meat because it, it might have been sacrificed to an idol. The other stronger Christians were saying, oh no, uh, hey, idols are nothing anyway. These are just steaks. I'm having a barbecue. You know, this is no big deal for me. And they were stronger about it. It didn't bother their conscience. And Paul told them that you need to accept one another. If they feel they shouldn't eat, don't force them to eat. Let them go by their conscience. And if you're stronger in that, don't accept the weaker brother. And it's the same with this. And what they were doing is they were only eating vegetables. That way they would keep themselves out of trouble. They wouldn't eat any pork. They wouldn't eat any meat that might have been sacrificed to an idol. But the other Christians felt free, so they were eating the meat. And it's just, it's just very clear. Both sides do not despise each other. Do not judge each other. Welcome each other. Why did God tell Israelites not to eat certain foods? They were only allowed to eat certain animals, certain birds, certain seafood. What was that all about? And if it was so important, why has God changed his mind now? Because in the Old Testament, it was a picture. First of all, number one, God was preserving the Jewish people. And many of the things we now know that God told them not to eat, there was no medicine, there was no refrigeration, and those things could carry easily carry more diseases and make you unhealthy. So number one, it was a protection thing because God was protecting Israel. He loved them, but he needed them to bring about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But it was also a picture. God was saying, if you want to be my people, you have to be clean. You have to be different. So he gave them an illustration. By eating these foods, you will be clean. Do not eat the unclean food. That's why they called them the unclean foods. So what happened? Well, foods can't make you spiritually clean. It was just a picture. So when Jesus came and died, how are we clean? We're clean when Jesus died and shed his blood for us. He makes us clean. He forgives us and puts his spirit in us that spiritually cleanses us. So there's no more need for any dietary code. Just like an animal sacrifice. Why don't we sacrifice animals in church anymore like they did in the Old Testament? An, excuse me. An animal sacrifice can't forgive your sin. I almost said something, but no. Um, 
animal sacrifices can't forgive your sin, right? None of those animal sacrifices forgive their sin. Why did God do it? Because it was painting a picture. It was pointing them to the ultimate lamb that would be sacrificed, Jesus Christ. So the reason why we don't sacrifice animals, same reason why we don't are under the dietary laws. Now, you're going to have people that are going to tell you we're still under that. So let me read Mark 7. Jesus tells a parable. He's telling parables because these religious guys were making up all these man-made rules about food and everything else and rules on the Sabbath. Verse 80, and he said to them, then you, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Talking about food. Thus he declared all foods clean. It's a very important statement in parentheses. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What, what makes a man unclean is what's in his heart, Jesus says. It's not food. You can eat all the celery and Brussels sprouts you want. It will not make you any closer to God. Now, it's better for you, and it might be better, might be better health. And I think one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-discipline. Maybe we need to be careful because we can go too far with what we eat. But it's not going to make you spiritual. So Jesus declared all foods clean. We're not under the law anymore. Under that because Jesus fulfilled it. He makes us clean. He makes our heart clean. Mark wrote this. You know where he got it from? Peter. And Peter had a vision in Acts 10 when an, an angel came and he had this vision of all the unclean animals on a sheet. Like laying on the ground like he's going to have a picnic. Here's a picnic. And the angel says, God says they're all, they're, all these foods are clean. Go ahead and eat them. There were bacon and pork chops and all that stuff. And Peter obviously was a weaker brother because he tells the angel, no, we're not, we're not, we're not going to eat that stuff. And the angel said, don't you declare unclean what God has made clean. So Peter had to grow into a stronger brother to realize he was free in Christ to eat other foods. I hope I'm helping you understand. But the main point is stop arguing. Stop arguing, Christians, with your Christian brother, Christian sister. I wasn't going to bring this up because it's such a heated topic, but it needs to be said. Um, our, when we were at the cultural center during COVID, and we came back and started meeting, after we took a break, we were doing sermons online, we came back to church, and, and people were wearing masks, but we made the masks optional. So if you wanted to wear a mask, you could wear a mask. If you wanted, if you wanted to not wear a mask, we had grown people in a worship service fighting over masks. And some of you, you're 60, but you act like six years old in some of these subjects. And, and listen, listen. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Because both, everybody feels so strong about it. 
you accept the brother. If, if a brother and sister feel they should wear a mask, you don't condemn them. Let them wear their mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, they should not condemn you if you're the stronger brother in that area and don't feel that you need to wear one. Do you understand? We could debate all day who's right and wrong. The issue is it, Paul's saying it doesn't matter who's right and wrong. Don't argue with your Christian brother and sister. Accept what their feeling is or opinion is on the gray area matter. And don't you come out and say, well, that's not a gray area, Pastor. I don't want to get into that argument with you. Number three and finally, because we need to have baptisms. Stop assuming. Stop assuming. What's assuming? Assuming is in, when you assume that you're right without any evidence, without any proof, and you just assume your way is right. And I see that in here in this final verse. It's a very strong verse. We all need to listen to it. Hear what Paul says. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, who are you that you think you're the Holy Spirit in another Christian's life? You're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads that person. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not your job. Who are you to think you're in charge of what other Christians should do. You're not the Lord. You're not the master. There's one Lord. There's one master. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Love your brother. Love your sister. The Lord will take care of them. He will deal with them. Okay. I'm your pastor. I'm not your master. Okay. Sure, I know sometimes we're going through Scripture, and it feels like I'm talking right at you or maybe telling you what to do. I'm telling you what, God words, what God's Word says. Then you have to decide if you want to obey it. When I come down from this pulpit, i got to worry about myself. I'm not, I, don't, I don't come to your house telling you what to do, what you shouldn't do. Because I'm not your Lord and I'm not your master. Jesus is. That's what Paul's saying. So don't be so arrogant that, that you assume you're right about everything and you're in charge and you know more than the Holy Spirit and Jesus. you got issues if you think you do. So this is very, very vital. And we're going to talk about this in all kinds of different ways in, in the weeks to come because it is so important. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time 
before the Lord comes, who will bring to light all the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Christians, we're going to stand before Jesus. That's his job. It's his job. Just love other Christians where they're at. Okay? Yeah, if they get in sin, let's help them get out of sin. If they're believing something false, let's teach them the truth. But in these gray areas, let's just welcome them and love them where they're at. And let Jesus be the judge of all that. He'll take care of all that. In the end, one final story and close with baptisms. Um, I like this story. There was a, I was reading this story about a pastor telling a story about a young man that came to their church. Uh, this young man went to a college nearby the church. And at this college, it was common, it was, it was a few years back, it was common for all these college students, a lot of the, the young men, they all had long hair. They all wore jeans. They never wore shoes anywhere. I totally understand that. Back when I was a teen, I didn't wear a shirt and shoes anywhere. You're like, Frank, couldn't you read the signs? Uh, well, it's just proof that a sign won't change the heart. <laughs> I needed to change the heart. But I went everywhere without shoes. So this guy, this kid was like that. He just went everywhere without shoes and long, wild, wild hair. And a Christian friend witnessed to him at the college. And he became a Christian, but he'd never been to church before. And so this other friend went to another church, and he said, why don't you go to that church near you, near the college? You can walk to it. It's, it's a good church. And so this young man looked forward to Sunday. He was going to come. And, and when he came, the service was packed a lot couple weeks ago, there were real, like no seats in here. And it was like that. And he was nervous. So he just walked down the middle of the aisle. He looked around. He saw no seats. Well, many times these college students would just sit on the floor in class. So he sat down right up front to hear the sermon. And everybody's eyes were attention. That would, that would give our safety team a heart attack, right? <laughs> so anyway, he's He's sitting there wanting to hear the sermon, and here he comes in the back. He comes, he's got a suit and tie on, he's got his hair combed real nice, carrying around like an eight-pound Bible, and here he comes down the aisle, and everybody knew what was happening. Oh boy, this kid's going to get reprimanded for sitting on the floor and not having shoes and and here comes the suit and tie guy, came down, and to everybody's shock, the man that was a leader in the church sat down right next to the kid with the long hair. And he put his arm around him, and he said, welcome, brother. That's what God wants in the church. May we go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Everything that was said today, everything that's said every Sunday, does not matter a bit until you get salvation. Until you get salvation, you don't even have to worry about gray areas or anything else. So if you're here today and you've never received salvation, you've never 
trusted Jesus who took the penalty for your sin. Today, trust him. The Holy Spirit will help you understand that. Receive him. Call out to him. Ask him forgiveness. Father, bring people to yourself. I thank you for the work you're doing here in our church. Thank you for these baptisms. God, help us to obey the Great Commission and make disciples. Baptizing and, and teaching them and training them. But God, help us also to love one another. Especially in these gray areas, God, help us to be accepting. Help us to stop arguing and stop assuming. We, all, we need your help, God. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?